Let me take some time to walk through the text again. One thing we need to, again, realize is that depending on your familiar, familiarity with the scriptures would really determine your reaction to reading this. For many of us who have been reading the Bible for a while, sometimes moments like this we can just kind of scan right over. That this is just old hat miracle that Jesus performs. We have such a robust knowledge of Jesus and his earthly ministry. This is just another miracle. We know there's another one coming like this in chapter 5, in chapter 7, in chapter 9. And Jesus exercising these unclean spirits can almost seem to us as really no big deal. And I think I heard even with uh, Tori explaining, our culture also gives us a lens through which to read this. Not many of us have probably experienced, I know I haven't, this kind of possession of a person with an unclean spirit to really have a mental image and a reminder of exactly what the scene could have looked and sounded like. Again, it's for us, many of us, it's words on a page and a story, but we really don't have a mental image of what's going on here. But this is the, the joy of inductive study, right? That if, if we read this scene and try to kind of stay in the sandbox of these seven verses, we see with fresh eyes and maybe a fresh mind that we're, we're renewed in our amazement of this scene. And it's, it's an incredible scene. And to answer the question why, we need to make sure that we read it in light of the focus of Mark. And how we do that is we go all the way back again. We've, we mentioned this before, but Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The thesis statement for Mark. Why is he writing this gospel account? So that we can know the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. So to break that down into maybe two parts. What is this gospel and who is this Jesus? That's going to color the way that we read these and answer the question, so now why would Mark include this narrative in order to establish the gospel as well as the identity of Jesus? So walking through the passage, we've already answered some of these questions, but give the context, remembering Jesus just called his disciples, and he's now entering into the town of Capernaum. And he goes on the Sabbath... And he goes directly to the community center for religious teaching, the synagogue. And so far, even if you were in this day and reading this, nothing is at this point really out of the ordinary. If someone, as I already mentioned, was known to be literate and knowledgeable of the scriptures, they would invite them to come and to read and to comment on the passage. This is what Jesus is doing. So really nothing out of the ordinary yet. But then the first thing out of the ordinary we see is the reaction to Jesus' teaching. We have a group of witnesses, the they. And again, this is where it kind of knowing what the synagogue was allows us to maybe fill in the blank of the they that Brian mentioned. That there are, there are already a group of people there wanting to learn, wanting to listen to the teacher's comment on the scriptures. And they are going to witness not only his authoritative teaching, but supernatural miracle. And why were they astonished? Verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching. 
While we don't have the content in this passage of what Jesus was teaching on, we don't have the, the passage of the Old Testament that he was reading, we don't have his particular comments on the passage, but knowing what we already know about Jesus, we can make the, the implication that because Jesus, we already saw through his baptism and the declaration of Mark and the declaration of John the Baptist, that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Through his baptism, the Spirit of God is resting upon him. We can naturally infer that the content of Jesus' teaching will be impeccable. But because we want to stay in this text, the real clue we want to go in is the manner in which Jesus is taught. That's what we see in this passage. The manner in which Jesus taught. There's a contrast, as we already mentioned with the scribes, that Jesus is teaching with one who's exuding authority. So unlike, most likely, the, the scribes that would stand up and say things like, Thus saith the Lord, we'll hear not only in this gospel, but in other accounts of Jesus' teaching, the manner of that what Jesus teaches would be, I say unto you, a position of authority. So these witnesses in the synagogue first encountered Jesus' authority, number one, in the way that he taught, the manner in which he taught, the position of authority that he exuded through his teaching. But now comes a character on the scene, right? Again, nothing other than the, the, the nature in which Jesus is teaching, which is amazing in and of itself, that they would know that there's a man with authority who's teaching who's different than the scribes. But now we have another character. Scene two, we have this man coming under the influence, under the power of an unclean spirit. Now, we can't fully imagine this, but you're going to have to try. <laughs> imagine someone coming in tonight in the fellowship hall as we're around and we're teaching, we're discussing, I'm giving comments on the passage. That someone comes in yelling out of their mind, calling out the instructor. This is the type of situation that we have here. There's a community center for Bible instruction, a master teacher who's now teaching with new authority, and now he's rudely interrupted by this demon-possessed man. Which begs the question, what's the teacher going to do? How is he going to respond? He's teaching with authority, and now what's next? Well, these that are listening to Jesus, so the, men, the people in the synagogue, and now this man and the unclean spirit that's within him will become witnesses in another arena of Jesus' authority, not merely his teaching. We read through the, the comments that the unclean spirit speaks through this man is that he knew who Jesus was. He knew the power that Jesus had. He knew the authority that Jesus had. And we see that because of the title that he uses. It's almost as if this unclean spirit is, is caught like a, like a kid with his hand in the cookie jar and the mom walks in the kitchen. <laughs> He's caught. He has something that he shouldn't have. And then he goes on the offensive. The unclean spirit goes on the offensive and it's actually quite common in, in, in spiritual warfare, those that would maybe exercise exorcisms, to actually invoke the name of the greater authority in order to gain power over them. So calling Jesus the Holy One of God, yes, clues us into the authority that Jesus has, clues us in that this spirit knew who he was, 
But most likely it was a tactic used by the unclean spirit to try to gain an upper hand on Jesus. So this unclean spirit recognizes something. He knows that he's just entered into a battle. The kingdom of God that we've already read about, that Jesus proclaims is here, is coming and bursting onto the scene now in real life. This unclean spirit's control over this man is now being challenged. And as we're going to read, it's about to become overcome. In the vernacular, things just got real in the spiritual warfare. And again, with fresh eyes, imagine this scene. The spiritual tension of the air, the sovereign creator, God, man, now confronted by an unclean spirit. The tension was probably as thick as the fog was last night and this morning. So, so who's going to try it? Toe to toe, it seems like. And what we're about to see is that Jesus is the son of God with the power of the spirit of God is sovereign over the spiritual realm. So not only teaching with authority, but he's going to show his sovereignty over the spiritual realm. And unlike these unclean spirits, in contrast to them, in contrast to Satan in the garden, and the way that Satan and his realm continues to work in this world, in contrast to that, Jesus is going to use his power for his glory, but also for the good of people. Jesus, with all the authority of heaven and earth, rebukes the spirit. He tells it to be quiet and to come out. Jesus is breaking into the darkness and he's starting to shed his light. Again, giving us a signal the kingdom of God has come. This very act of Jesus' authoritative teaching and now exercising his dominion over the spiritual realm is a strong evidence of his identity. Remember verse 1, the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. God. He truly is that. And what's it teaching us about the gospel? The gospel really is good news. Jesus is bringing good news. The chains of sin and darkness of unclean spirits are now being broken and he's beginning to reclaim what was rightfully his. As we'll read later in the the parable, he's binding the strong man and he's plundering the house. He's taking back what this unclean spirit had taken for himself. And Jesus' authority, unlike the the, the multiple ways in our, our world that we see authority being abused and authority being used for the good of the authoritarian, Jesus' authority, yes, brings him glory, but Jesus' authority heals. Jesus uses his authority to restore. He rescues this man recovers the image of God in this man that was possessed by darkness and evil, and now he's able to function the way that God intended him to function. So back to the synagogue as we wrap up here. These people in the synagogue, they were first, as we saw, they were amazed at Jesus' teaching. He did so in authority, contrasting with the scribes. But now, after seeing this demonstration of power in combination with authoritative teaching, they are Jesus on full display for those in the synagogue. They actually begin questioning, arguing, debating. 
with the question of who is he and what are we supposed to do with what we just saw? And isn't that at a point of application really where we all need to be? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just the Jesus at the beginning of the passage? Just a good teacher, one whose wisdom is amazing and astonishing? And yes, this is a large part of who Jesus was on earth, but it's not all who he was. He's establishing also his authority, his kingship, his deity. He holds all things together. He commands unclean spirits, and they have to obey. He wrestled with Satan in the wilderness, and he won a decisive victory. He was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. He has the full approval of God the Father, and the Spirit of God rests upon him. He's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. His way was prepared for by John the Baptist. And so Jesus is presented in this gospel. And ultimately, Jesus presents himself as much more than a great teacher. It's not less than that. But he's much more than that. He has power and he has the authority to use it. The care and compassion and love of a suffering servant to use that power and authority to restore and to heal and to bring things back to order. So this same Jesus, the authoritative teacher, the one who has all authority over spiritual realm demands your submission to his lordship as well, to his authority, to his call on your life. So ask yourself the question, have you submitted to that Jesus? Have you submitted to the Jesus of all authority? The Jesus who can heal, the Jesus who can restore, one that you've, you've made up in your own mind? Or are we submitting to the Jesus that's presented to us in the scriptures? We live in a, I mean, sure, it's, it's just part of sin nature for all, all of eras, but we certainly live in an era that struggles with authority. And it's really authority that's not the problem. <laughs> because we, you know, the, the do your own thing and, you know, I'm my own boss, I, can, I own my own body, I can do whatever I want. Well, they have no problem with the authority that's invested in themselves. The problem they have is, the, is submitting to someone else's authority. And this passage demands... <laughs> Just like these ones in the, in the synagogue are asking, it demands us to say, what is this? Who is this one who's teaching with authority? Who's this one that commands the unclean spirits? Who is the one that the unclean spirits obey? And what must I do with this Jesus? And one last point as we wrap up. What's the response? Yes, there's questioning, but the last verse and once his, Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. What this clues us in on is those who witness and see the authority of Jesus, both here and in our day as well. They didn't need an evangelism seminar. They didn't need to go attend a conference of how do I now tell everybody what, who Jesus is and what he's done and maybe what he's done for me. No, we're not, we're not throwing those things under the bus as if they're bad because we've got an evangelism class right now and growth classes. It's good to sharpen our tools so that our presentation of the gospel is clear. But what we see is that those, and again, this is another question to ask ourselves in application, those who truly see, experience, acknowledge the authority of Jesus spread his fame. 
You can't help but tell people. So imagine, again, you're in the synagogue, and you hear teaching like you've never heard before, and you see the exorcism of an unclean spirit and a man, Jesus, exercising authority over the spiritual realm of darkness. You're going to go tell people. But as we, we bring it back to our own lives, what has Jesus done for us? What is the gospel? It's the same thing. He's broken the power of sin and darkness and reign of sin in our lives and set us free to be free to serve him and love others. This is no less a miracle that Jesus saves sinners like us than for him to exercise an unclean demon. So one of the results of your seeing Jesus' authority and submitting to it is that you're going to spread the glory of his name in your areas of influence, in your home, in the church community, in your life groups, in your workplace, amongst your friends and amongst your neighbors. Jesus has freed you from the domain of sin, just like he did with this unclean spirit and this man. And so may we be just as eager to share and spread his fame not in the region of Galilee, but in the region of Concord, New Hampshire. May we be a people that are known for spreading the fame of Jesus for the joy of the nations and the glory of our incredible Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Son and for those of us who have been united to him in faith, that he has done a supernatural work in our lives. He has freed us from the bondage of sin through his perfect life and his sacrificial death for his, through his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. So Father, may you, may you continue to shed that gospel light in our own hearts when we cease to spread the fame of Jesus because we've lost the amazement of what he's done. We've, we've neglected to remind ourselves of what the gospel has done for us. And so help us this week to, to preach to ourselves louder and longer and clearer than we listen to ourselves. Father, keep us from, from the work of this world and, and our flesh and Satan who would bombard us with, with guilt and shame and or would allure us with lesser things than Jesus. Father, may our love tonight for you and your son be rekindled. And may the evidence of that be seen in, in, in the way that we spread the fame of our Savior in these arenas that you've placed us in. We pray this in the, the authoritative name of this Jesus. Amen.